this is our Bible Institute time. I always kind of give you the stats on the way in, but there's people watching all over the world. We went over 900 students this week, and uh, so that's another little milestone, um, which is kind of cool. We have students all over the world that are taking courses with us. You're certainly welcome to take these courses that we're going through if you would like for credit. You can earn an associate's degree or a bachelor's degree in ministry. It's all free. And uh, there's 117 courses or so online that you can take with us. Wednesday nights consider as a course. Uh, and Sunday, the weekends, roll into courses too. So all those things are happening. Anyway, it's a pretty good thing. And you can study at your own pace, at your own time. Or you can just hang out and you don't have to take the courses for credit. You can just learn, take them in, which is cool. We're in a study right now on, uh, we're doing an Old Testament survey. We're in the, the second part, the second course. And we're in a period of time that we're looking through 2 Samuel to 2 Kings. So um, we've been, we finished 2 Samuel. We, uh, we are 11 chapters into 1 Kings. And we are, we, uh, when we were together the last time, we just came to the end of the reign of Solomon. Well, before we hop into the next chunk, because the kingdoms divide here with Rehoboam and Jeroboam, I just thought it would be good to take a couple of weeks and sneak in a couple of the other Old Testament books that fit here. Well, most of them fit here. Um, and so I want to do a quick discussion through Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. Um, because David, we, we just finished studying King David. He, he just you know left the scene about 40 years before we, uh, in our history. Uh, and uh, he wrote most, a big chunk of the Psalms, not all of them. But then Solomon, uh, who just had just died, uh, and last time we were together, he uh, was responsible for Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon. So historically, it seems like a good time to talk about these guys before we plunge into the kingdom. Uh, dividing and leading to exile and then ultimately to the return. All those things we've talked about in depth over time about the pictures that they represent. But uh, we're just we're working through the books together. So um, I thought we would take today. Uh, we'll talk about Psalms and Proverbs a little bit. And then next week I'll do Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, and probably a little bit on the book of Job. The book of Job doesn't really fit into that time period. It's hard to place the book of Job historically. It's possible it's the oldest book in the Bible, the book of Job. So, um, but anyway, we'll, we'll talk about that. So these are in effect are known. These, these five that I'm going to talk about are the books of wisdom and poetry. And uh, so it's a nice little break. And maybe you're, maybe you're ready for a break from the kings. We've been, we've been in the kings for a while now. Uh, talking about kings. So uh, this will be a good little pause. And um, if you don't know this about me, I love the Psalms and the Proverbs. I've actually written a couple of devotional books based on those books. And and, uh, so I've spent a lot of time studying the Psalms and the Proverbs and what they mean. Uh, I think the Psalms are such a powerful uh, way to uh, connect with God, because there's so much in them, there's so much depth in the Psalms, and there's things happen in the Psalms that you might not expect to happen in the Bible, and uh, I just think they're rich. And throughout church history, the Psalms have played a big part in in, in uh, those times of prayer. Uh, it's a, apparently the early uh, church fathers, a lot of the desert monks, would read through the the entire book of the Psalms every day. A pretty big chunk of reading. It's 150 Psalms. Uh, and then over time, they got it down to once a week. And um, 
And then ultimately, sort of they were once a month reading through the entire Psalms. And I like that pattern, so I, I engage in that. I try and read through the Psalms once a month. And um, the Proverbs are also another great sort of devotional read. And um, there's a proverb, there's 31 Proverbs, so this kind of a proverb a day. And so I'm in the habit of reading the proverb of the day every day. And uh, that, get, that gets uh, to be a great sort of process. So... Um, so the Proverbs are easy to figure out which ones you're supposed to read every day. The Psalms split up a little different because some are bigger than others. I have it on the websites on how to read it, but uh, it's kind of, it's, you know, it's a couple of Psalms a day, but sometimes you've got to read two or three, and sometimes you read one, and you might get five one day, because uh, you've got to get 150 in there, and five a day isn't how it really works out, because sometimes they're real short. So anyway, uh, I would encourage you to take those on as a reading. Uh, if you're interested, there's books out there in the foyer. You can take those books. Uh, on one's called the daily uh, daily salt intake, P A S P S A L T, and the other one's daily sage intake. The salt intake is about the Psalms, known as the Psalter, and the sage intake is about wisdom. It's about the Proverbs. So um, let me give you some background on the Psalms, Book of Psalms, uh, also called the Psalter, uh, in case you ever wondered what that was about, and. Um, they're, they're kind of divided into five separate books as you're reading. And each of those five separate books ends with a similar verse. And I think I listed those verses for you in the notes. So the first chunk of Psalms ends at Psalm 41. And verse 13 says, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen. And then it would start with a new book in Psalm 42 and end in Psalm 72. Praise be, verse 19, to His glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with His glory. Amen and amen. And then 73, Psalm would start a new sort of book in the Psalms and run through the end of 89. Verse 52, praise be to the Lord forever. Amen and amen. Another book picks up there in, in 90 and runs through the uh, end of 106. Psalm 106, 48, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Let all people say amen. Praise the Lord. And then it runs there till the final Psalm, Psalm 150, verse 6. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So each one of those chunks of, of Psalms kind of has a, a similar passage that ends them. Um, at least 73 of the Psalms were written by King David. At least 73 of the 150. Could be more. But uh, we know for a fact, because they, they were, you know, historically written that way that he wrote 73 of them the uh the psalter was organized uh, into a book those all those psalms were collected um sometime after 536 bc uh, and they happened after the return from the babylonian captivity they they collected all the psalms um under obviously the direction of the lord and they they got them into uh that form that we know them now they actually cover a 900-year period, the Psalms, of history. So, obviously, I said David wrote nearly half, but um, some of the other Psalms there were, um, were written by other authors. Uh, Psalm 90 was actually written sometime before the death of Moses, which would have been 1406 B.C. when he died. Uh, Psalm 126 was written after the return of the Babylonian exile, which would be 536 B.C. So that's how you get that spread of 900 years. Um, Hebrew poetry is different than the way we usually would 
uh, think of poetry, but, but the Psalms are poems. They're Hebrew poetry. And um, in the Hebrew, it's more about rhyming ideas than um, rhyming words. So the ideas of the Psalms are, are rhyming in some shape or form throughout the process. And there's sort, sort of four very well-known ways that they work. And um, when, you, when you're rhyming ideas, it's known as parallelism. Uh, and so there's different types of parallelism. Um, that happen in the Psalms. And uh, I think it's fascinating when you know, when you start to look for them, then it just kind of gives you some more in-depth idea about the Psalm itself and its structure and how that changes things um, as we read them. And we have to read them as poetry, as ideas. It's, it's, uh, it's not as black and white as sometimes people want to make it. So the first type is synonymous parallelism. And that's when the two lines or, or, or two, the two ideas that, that say the same thing, they're, they're synonymous. Um, Psalm 2, verse 1. Why do the nations conspire and the people plot in vain? And then a similar idea to that is the kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. It's this conspiring in vain uh, in the process. So you, you get a picture there of... Um, these ideas of of what's happening there, and that's synonymous. So when you when you start seeing lines, two lines that say the same thing, synonymous parallelism. Then then there's known uh, emblematic parallelism, which is cool. It gives a point and then a picture, or it gives you a picture and then makes a point about it. Psalm 23 is a great example of that. Uh, the Lord is my shepherd; I shall not be in want. That's a point that the writer is making. He makes me lie down in green pastures. That's a picture of that point. Um, and then, uh, he leads me beside quiet waters. That's a picture. He restores my soul. That's the point. So you, you, you start to read through it, and you see these things happening, and you just know what the writer was going after in that process. Then there's a synthetic parallelism, which takes an idea and then expands on it, through the psalm. So right off in the bat, Psalm 1 is a synthetic parallelism. Psalm 1, verse 1 through 3. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or seat, sit in the seat of mockers. Then it builds. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. And it builds. He is like a tree planted by streams of water who, which yields its fruit in season whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. It's kind of like... Um, a, a telescoping, uh, uh, like an antenna or something. You keep getting bigger. You know, you keep pulling it out, and it has a new level. And that's kind of the idea behind synthetic parallelism. And then there's antithetical parallelism. That's hard. To, that's a lot of syllables. Antithetical parallelism. It gives a thesis, and then an antithesis, the antithesis, uh, however you want to say that, antithesis. So that happens a lot in the Proverbs. Um, Proverbs 10.1, a wise son brings joy to his father. That's the, the thesis part of it. And then the opposite of that, but a foolish son uh, give grief to his mother. So you, you, you see a, a thing and then an opposite. That happens a lot in Proverbs. Um, so just so you're looking for it in, in what's going on. Now, the Psalms um, that they had were already being used in um, the worship services that were happening at the time of King David. So David wrote these psalms. They were poems. They were sung. Uh, they were put to music mostly, and they were incorporated into worship uh, music. First Chronicles 16.4 says that David appointed some of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord to make petition to give thanks uh, 
and to praise the Lord, the God of Israel. And so that verse kind of outlines the worship service that, that David instituted for worship around the Ark of the Covenant. And, and so there were psalms of petition, sort of um, kind of reminding God is sort of what it looks like, uh, uh, you know, of, of what he's promised and just sort of speaking his promises back to him. And, uh, and, and those sort of psalms, those psalms are also known as lament psalms. You know, it just kind of says, you know, God, we need you. We're going through hard stuff, and uh, we, we, uh, we love you, and here we are. And then uh, they would have, as part of the service after that, Psalms of Thanksgiving. So um, those are pretty easy to find. You'll know a Psalm of Thanks when you're reading it, because it'll just be full of thanks, you know, uh, through the process. And then Psalms of Praise would be a part of that worship service that he described there in First Chronicles. So, um, you know, the... The people of God have always been very musical in their worship and in their response to God um, from from the very beginning that we read. And in, in whenever there was a great victory or something, a song was written, the people sang it, they danced, they, they worshipped. And this is still part of our worship today so that when we're engaging in those things, um, we're just doing what people have done to respond to God um, basically from the very beginning of time. Now, other types of psalms uh, that you'll read, there's, uh, they're, they're called Messianic psalms. And they, they, have, uh, uh, they mention the Messiah in one way or another uh, in the psalms, uh, and prophetically. There's three types of Messianic psalms. The first one is, uh, is known as a typic, typical sorry, Messianic psalm, where part of the psalm relates to the coming Messiah. Not all of it does, but part of it does. So uh, if you looked at Psalm 69, Psalm 69, 5 is about King David, where he says, You know my folly, O God, my guilt is not hidden from you. But uh, verses 7 through 9 are about the Messiah. For I endure scorn for your sake, and shame covers my face. I'm a stranger to my brothers, an alien to my own mother's sons. For zeal for your house consumes me, and the insults of those who insult you fall on me. So that's a... That's about Jesus. That's what's coming. Uh, in John two thirteen through 17, you know the story. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found men selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, Get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? His disciples remembered what is written, Zeal for your house will consume me. So as David um, would, was, and some of the other psalmists were writing these psalms, um, part of David's stuff would be about him, but part of it he was getting prophetically about the Messiah who would come in his line, right? Part of his lineage uh, is, is springing out of there, and God was giving him these, these words uh, under the anointing of the Spirit, and this was what come out. So some of them, like I said, are, uh, that first type is typical Messianic psalm, where part of it was David, Part of it was about Jesus. And then there's a t- typical uh, prophetic messianic psalm. What was the first one? Typical messianic. This is a typical prophetic messianic psalm, the second one. And that's where the psalmist is writing, um, and it's all uh, personal. It's all prophetic insight. None of it is personal. It's not coming from his own personal experience. He's having just and, uh, the example, an example of that would be Psalm 22. Where, where David writes, 
this psalm, but it's ultimately all about Jesus on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, and I am not silent. You are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. In you our fathers put their trust. They trusted and delivered them. They cried to you and were saved. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by men and despised by people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. So again, that's back well before Jesus, and yet it's, a, it's almost a perfect um, picture of what was going to happen at the cross and how the people would mock him and scorn him and say, let him save himself. You know, he saved others, let him save himself. So uh, you, you see, that is a typical prophetic messianic psalm. That psalm goes on, verse 14, I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is turned to wax. It is melted up within me. My strength is dried up. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. It goes on and on. They divide my garments among them and cast, lot, lot, cast lots for my clothing. Remember that happened. Uh, and so you see in that psalm uh, being prophetically carried out in the crucifixion of Jesus. And then there's a completely prophetic messianic psalm, like Psalm 110. It's, it's again, all about Jesus. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion. You will rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on your day of battle. Arrayed in holy majesty from the womb of dawn, you will receive the dew of your youth. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge the nations, heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. He will drink from a brook beside the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. So... Um, David refer, or Jesus refers to that psalm in Matthew 22, verse 41. Uh, and and uh, the Pharisees were questioning him. And while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, Who, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? The son of David, they replied. He said to them, How is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, could call him Lord? For he says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one could say a word in reply, and from that day, no one dared ask him any more questions. But uh, that psalm was a prophetic psalm about, uh, again, who Jesus is and what he was doing and why he came. So, the psalms are tremendous. There's another type of psalm that you'll read, and they're called imprecatory psalms. It has an interesting name. And I'll tell you how you know when you got one. So I'm going to read you one and, and see if you can figure out what imprecatory is. Wait, I need my glasses. Because my Bible, I can't make it explode into bigger letters. I like this. O God, whom I praise, do not remain silent. For wicked and deceitful men have opened their mouths against me. They have spoken against me with lying tongues. With words of hatred, they surround me. They attack me without cause. In return for my friendship, they accuse me. But I'm a man of prayer. They repay me evil for good and hatred for my friendship. Anoint, or appoint, sorry. It's still David. Appoint an evil man to oppose him. 
Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is tried, let him be found guilty. And may his prayers condemn him. May his days be few. May another take his place of leadership. May his children be fatherless (laughs) and his wife a widow. May his children be wandering beggars. (laughs) May they be driven from their ruined homes. May a creditor seize all he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his labor. May no one extend kindness to him or take pity on his fatherless children. May his descendants be cut off, the names blotted out from the next generation. May the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord. May the sin of his mother never be blotted out. May their sins always remain before the Lord, that they may be cut off the memory of them from the earth. That's imprecatory. (laughs) That means uh, it's a righteous, supposed to be a righteous indignation. But sometimes you'll read in the Psalms and you'll see like, wow, there's not a whole lot of grace in that whole process. Um, but, but he was just expressing how he was felt. And again, I love David because he's not always right on it. But he's a man after God's own heart. And I just think he'd been messed with long enough at that point, don't you? And he just was with God. He was just saying how he feels about it. But when you, when you read through it, and you, you get, he keeps pressing through it, and he says, do all these things. And then, uh, and then he ends up, but you, O sovereign Lord, deal well with me for your name's sake. Out of the goodness of your love, deliver me, for I'm poor and needy. My heart is wounded within me. I fade away like an evening shadow. I'm shaken off like a locust. My knees give way from fasting. My body is thin and gaunt. I'm an object of scorn to my accuser. When they see they, they shake their heads. Help me, O Lord, my God. Save me in accordance with your love. Let them know that it's your hand, that you, Lord, have done it, that they may curse, but you will bless. So he, he gets around to figuring out that he needs the Lord. With my mouth, I will greatly extol the Lord. It is the great, in the great thong, I will praise him. For he stands at the right hand of the needy one to save his life from those who condemn him. So you, you often see in the, in the psalm, David uh, starting out in a bad spot but by the end of it he's reconciled again but god i just need you and that's where life is and i'm going to let you have it all and trust you in the process but you will read some psalms like that those kind of psalms sometimes freak people out that's why i wanted to bring it out you just need to know when you read one like that there's like 20 psalms that are like that you go oh that's an imprecatory psalm and uh just sometimes do you ever feel like that you know, we're not supposed to, but we do, right? Something happens and we get that, that sort of indignation comes up. Righteous, self-righteous, whatever it might be. But it happens. Then you get into the Proverbs. I love the Proverbs. As I said, um, the purpose of the book of Proverbs is to know wisdom. And remember Solomon had asked for wisdom and, and uh, he was given wisdom. Um, and then, you know, he made a lot of... So even with wisdom, sometimes you can make really bad decisions, I guess. You don't have to listen to wisdom. But uh, he certainly had it. But the Proverbs um, were not all Solomon's. He wrote a lot of them, but, but they were collected over a period of a couple of centuries, about 200 years. Um, Proverbs 1, 1 through 7 says, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for attaining wisdom and discipline, for understanding words of insight, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, doing what is right, just and fair, for giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young, let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning guidance for understanding Proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. 
But fools despise wisdom and discipline. Um, you will, if you haven't spent any time reading the Proverbs, like I said to you, try and read one every day. Just read the one for the day. So whatever the date is. What's the date? Today's the 11th. Um, so in your, in, when I wake up, I'll read Proverbs 11. At some point in my devotional. And it's just very helpful. Um, make that one of your habits in life. It doesn't take long to read a proverb. It's a great little habit to develop. And you just start working through it. And then there's 31 proverbs. It's one for every day. If you have a month that has less than 30 days, so you might have to read. If you, if you can't handle not reading 31, read it when you read 30. And then start all over again. But it will really change you. There's so much wisdom in the proverbs, and you miss it with a casual reading. Uh, I have for years now read a proverb a day, virtually every day. Uh, and I, I just keep reading them. It's only 31, so I've read them over and over and over again, but I'm surprised at how often something new pops out. Same with the Psalms. I read, Like I said, I read through the Psalms every month. Um, but it's always like a new experience. And uh, it's, it's worth it. It's a, it's a huge part of life, I think. Proverbs 2.1 My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, and if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it, as for silver, and search for it as for hidden treasure. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. Um, So again, that's this sort of saying, hey, look, as you read through these Proverbs, look for the treasure in there, because it's filled with it. And I also have found this to be very true, that um, when you read that Proverb today, it will apply to something that happens that day, always. It's just faithful to do that. It's amazing to me how um, something will happen. And so, you know, read a proverb. If you, if you make it your habit, pick a verse out of the proverb to kind of dwell on all day. Uh, if something is illuminated to you, pop it out and read that. I think it's a very helpful way. So um, those things were all being written during the time that we were studying, most of them, big, big parts of them. And so I thought we'd bring them in there. And then we'll look at a couple of other kind of interesting books. Uh, we'll look at Job, Ecclesiastes, and... Song of Solomon next week. Like I said, Job wasn't written at that time period, but it's part of that poetry wisdom um, chunk that's in there. So we'll look at them then. It's enough for today. If you're watching on video, thanks for watching, and uh, God bless you. All right. Thanks for watching this broadcast from Keys Vineyard Community Church in Big Pine Key, Florida. Be sure to like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more information, log on to keysvineyard.com. We'll see you next time.